0: Good morning, Munger Place. I'm pleased to introduce to you this morning the Reverend Dr. Ugo Maggiannis. Ugo Maggiannis is Associate Professor of Christianity and Cultures at the Perkins School of Theology at SMU, which is how he and I became friends, because I had him as one of my professors while I was in seminary. I've come to really respect Dr. Maggiannis through not just his academic learning, but through the way he's involved in the local church. He and his wife, Lucia, are involved in their local church in Allen every week in the youth ministry, and they're raising up two boys in the faith. So please join me this morning in giving a hearty, Munger welcome to the Reverend Dr. Ugo Magellanis. Thank you, Andre, and uh, it's great to be here. Good morning to all of you. My name is Hugo Magallanes, and I first met Andrew about five years ago. Uh, when I first moved here to Texas after teaching for seven and a half years in Florida, I came here to SMU to teach, and Andrew was one of my students in my first year of teaching, full-time teaching here at Perkins. He's a great student, and you are blessed to have a fantastic pastor. He's a great guy. Uh, not only he's a great student, but he also mentored my oldest son. He's not here with me. Eric and my wife, Lucie, are here but David, he is a youth counselor at Pine Cove, and uh, he should be there for one more week. And Andrew was helping uh, David. He's studying. A, a, he wants to be a youth pastor and a worship leader. And Andrew was giving him some lessons and encouraging him to go into ministry, and he was a great mentor to my son, David. So it is great to be here to worship with you in this wonderful morning. And, and I'd like to begin my, my presentation, my message this morning with a question. If Jesus calls, how do you respond? I mean, the fact that you are here this morning is a positive response to God's invitation. You are here, you took the first step, you already responded, you said yes to God, you woke up early in the morning on a Sunday morning, you are here, you are singing God's praises, it's a wonderful opportunity, but how do we respond? How do we continue in this journey that we are all together following Jesus? How do we respond to God's invitation? What are we supposed to do? What is the essence of that response when God invites us to, to, to be part of God's kingdom, to God's ministry? What is this? What is this response that we are invited to do? Some of us, it's, a, it's a perhaps a dramatic event. Some of us, it's a long journey to respond to God. But the fact is that we are here and that we're listening and we want to respond to God's call. So let's pray and ask God to help us understand the meaning of this response and the essence of this response that we are all called to 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 go on in, in this journey. Let's pray and ask God to be with us and pray for Andrew and his family that are on vacation. God we thank you for this day, for your blessings, for your presence and as we reflect on your word we ask you that you will guide us and lead us. Help us to understand the meaning and the implications of following you. Help us to understand the essence of our response to your invitation. We also pause for a moment and we want to pray for Andrew, for Elaine, and for Jack. Bless them, God, wherever they are, and allow them to have a time of uh, refreshment and uh, a time of fellowship within their family. And we thank you, God, for this wonderful congregation and for the things that you're doing in this place. And we ask you, God, that as we meditate on your word, that you will be with us. In your name we pray and we give you thanks. Amen. The passages that I would like to to reflect on this morning, there are two of them. And many people that look at these two passages, they don't consider them that are related, but I think they are. And I will uh, explain this in a a little bit. These two passages are quite interesting. Both of them come from the Gospel of Luke. And and let me just read them to you so we can follow along. And if you have your pew Bibles, I think it's page 59. It's the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 4 verses 38 and 39, and then we'll jump to chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And these two passages are quite interesting and essential to understand this response to God's call. So let me just read them to you. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over, uh, over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. So she got up at once and began to wait on them. That's the first passage. Then the next one goes on like this, uh, chapter 5, 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesareth, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't cut anything. But because you say so, I will let the, down the nets. When they had done so, they cut such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Seventy, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. These two passages are quite amazing. And let's begin with the first one to understand our response to God's call. The first passage comes, um, is a response to a miracle, of course. But let me just share with you the context of the first passage. This is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And it comes right after uh, the beginning of chapter 4 when Jesus discloses to the crowd. He goes into the synagogue. He opens the scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he tells everyone, I am the Messiah. I'm here to do all these great things. And people go, what? What are you talking about? We don't understand what you're talking about. And they they are amazed and they don't know what to do with Jesus. But he discloses his mission. And he's telling all the public what he's about to do and who he is. And people are doubting. And then he goes on and he goes into casting out demons and healing people. And people cannot believe that this is Jesus, the one that they saw since he was this little. And they cannot believe that now he's proclaiming to be the Messiah. But now he goes into a more intimate setting. He goes into the house of Simon. And before we go into this setting in the household of Simon, I want to point out to, to, and call to your attention something that is kind of a odd in this particular Gospel of Luke. Simon is introduced right now, but and he is a main character in the Gospel. But there is no formal introduction whatsoever about Simon. Jesus just goes into the house of Simon. He's not one of the disciples yet. His call is in chapter five. So it's kind of a odd that the Gospel writer makes this connection between Simon and Jesus goes into this house. It seems like he's not invited. He just simply goes on to there, and Simon is his house. So it seems a little odd that Simon is not the main character of the story. Perhaps the, uh, the gospel writer is trying to emphasize another character in the story, the mother-in-law. Maybe he's trying to tell us more about this character, A woman with no name, the only reference that we have is that she is Peter's mother-in-law. We know that she has probably no other male relatives. You need to understand that in the New Testament times, females with no male relatives, they were like nothing. They were considered outcasts. They didn't have any position in society, so that's why this reference that the only connection is Peter, uh, Peter, Simon. No details, no, we don't know what she does. It's simply we know that she is ill. She has a high fever, she's sick, she's ill. And then this woman, without name, without a position in society, and we know her condition, not only in society, but her physical condition, she's sick. Jesus takes an important action. On verse 39, So he bent over her and rebuked the fever. This phrase is very interesting, my friends, because this is the same phrase that Jesus is using or the gospel writer is using to describe when Jesus is about to cast out demons. So Jesus is treating her like she has some kind of a demon or some kind of a spirit-possessed problem. And he has this authority and he calls the name and immediately she heals and everybody's like, what in the world is going on? But I want you to picture this. She's ill, she is marginal in society, she is in the house of Simon, uh, her son-in-law. And then once she receives this miracle after these words of Jesus, when Jesus rebukes the fever, she is healed completely. What does she do? What does she do? What is her response to this great miracle? I don't know for how long she's been ill, but certainly now she is healed and she has this fantastic miracle performed by Jesus. What did she do? What did she do? My friends, she just got up and began to serve. She just went on her business. In fact, the verb that is used is serving like waiting tables. She just got up and began dinner for them. There is no verbal response, no great words, not like the politicians of today that every time that they do something good, they're kissing a baby, they have all these photographers and television cameras looking at them saying, hey, look at me, how good I am. No, No, not this woman. She was healed, received this miracle, and humbly, in a very anonymous way, she went on and continued her service to the people in her household. Don't you find that amazing and fascinating that after receiving this healing, she just simply got up and began to serve. No celebration, no cameras, no public recognition, no words like, hey, look at me, I'm so favored. Reading this passage and looking at this connection reminds me of another great woman, Mother Teresa, this woman that served with the poorest of India. She wrote these rules to her sisters and told them the following. Speak as little as possible about yourself. Keep busy with your own affairs and not those of others. Do not dwell on the faults of others. Give in to the will of others. Accept contempt being forgotten and disregarded. Be courteous and delicate, even when provoked by someone. Do not seek to be admired or unloved. Do not protect yourself behind your own dignity and always choose the more difficult task. My friends, how do you and I respond to God's call? We've been blessed. God is in our life. How do we respond? Do we want recognition and glory? Do we assume an arrogant position since God is obviously favoring me? How do you respond to God's call do you tell the whole world that you're better than anybody else because God is with you because you received this great favor and miracle from God how do we respond to God's favor to God's invitation to God's miracle not this woman the woman in the story she was blessed she was healed and she just simply got up and began to serve but now let's turn our attention to the owner of the house. What did Peter do? What did Peter do? I don't know about you. I have a great relationship with my mother-in-law. I'll be thrilled because she was healed and she's now well. Maybe Peter wasn't. You know, didn't have this great relationship with his mother-in-law. He was like, oh, no, she is healed. No, please. I was just praying for her to go and send it to you, God, and now she is well. Oh, my word, what's going to happen to me? But what is Peter's response? What did he do? I mean, he just was, he was an eyewitness to this great miracle. What is he thinking? To me, it's quite striking that in these little two verses, Peter remains silent. He doesn't say a word. Something happened in his house and he's like, whatever. Maybe his life was not altered. Maybe things are going to go on. Maybe his wife is going to have more chores to do at home because now the mother-in-law is ill and now she can help. And Well, I don't know exactly what's going on, but what is kind of striking is that he remains silent. How do we respond to God's favor, blessing? Are we like this woman or like Peter? What do we do? when we receive God's favor. I could stop my sermon right here and perhaps invite you to think and reflect on this, but I think there is an important connection between these two verses and the next chapter, chapter five. The next one is an interesting, uh, uh, the calling of Peter. That's the second passage, and as, as I said, I could finish here, but let me allow me to go on and explore the second, the second passage. I think there are important connections the interesting connections that I see is that both events occur in Peter's property. The first one is Peter's boat. The second, uh, Peter's house, and the second one is in, on Peter's house, uh, boat. So the two of them, he has ownership both of his house and the boat. Also, there are teaching relating. Jesus is teaching at both events. First by the lake, and the second one, the first one is at the house, and the second one is by the lake. You see them, Jesus teaching in both situations. So let's take a look at the second passage, particularly verse 4. Here, Jesus is telling Simon and all his partners, all the fishermen, he's telling them, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I can see Peter. I mean, now first his mother-in-law is healed, and if they don't have a good relationship, his life is really messed up. And now Jesus, after he messed up his household, he's going to his business. And let me just... Let me just tell you this. Who is Peter? Who is Simon? He's an expert fisherman, right? He knows his trade. He knows he's been fishing all his life. He's been fishing all night long. He is tired. He's frustrated. There is no fish whatsoever. He's coming back. And then Jesus, who happens to be what? What was Jesus' profession? A carpenter. A carpenter. And he is, after all night long fishing, Jesus tells Peter, hey, Peter, go back into the deep water. What? Are you nuts? You are a carpenter. You don't know anything about fishing. I've been a, I'm, a, I'm an expert fisherman. You're not going to tell me how to do these kinds of things, right? So Peter is thinking, oh, brother, I'm in charge. He, he just messed up my home, and now he's about to mess up my business. What? You don't know anything about fishing. I'm the expert. Furthermore, There is an interesting distinction between night nets and day nets. So they are using night nets because they've been fishing all night. And Jesus is telling them to use these night nets and go back into the deep water with the night nets during daylight. Crazy! Crazy things are happening here. Maybe this is another connection. Maybe Peter remembers the healing of his mother-in-law Maybe Peter remembers that Jesus had authority to heal her mother, his mother-in-law. And now he's thinking, hmm, if he was able to do that with my mother-in-law, what can he do for me? If I saw his authority, his, this great, great authority and power over the sickness, maybe, maybe he'll do something for me. And the interesting thing about the passages when we read them is we don't know exactly the intonation of the response of Peter. Maybe he said, oh, Jesus, well, if you want me, I'll do it. I'll go and go back into the deep water. Or, well, uh, fine, I'll do it just because you tell me to do so. Or, like, sometimes our children respond, okay, just because you are telling me to do it, if, if, you, if I don't do it, I'm going to get grounded. Maybe Peter is responding in that way. But whatever the situation was, whatever his response was, is that he follow Jesus' advice and at his command even though he may look absurd to him he went on and did it and you read the passage you saw it what happens he goes back and then they begin to catch this many fish and more and more and and the nets begin to break and the boats begin to sink and everybody's like wow what is going on And look at this response, my friends. It's just a great miracle. But then Peter comes back to shore. And the first thing that he does is he goes to Jesus. He kneels down and he says, Jesus, I am a sinful man. Wow. What an important declaration. Don't you find that interesting? Why is he making this public confession of who he is and what he's done? Why is he saying I am a sinful man. What does this mean? Why is he publicly confessing his spiritual condition? I believe, my friends, that he is saying this because he finally understood the meaning and the importance of responding to God's call. I think he's saying, forgive me because I was looking after my own benefit. Forgive me because I was looking for Arrogance, and I was arrogant in in my mother's when I was at at the house. And now I understand that to serve you is a life of humility, a life of unconditional service, a life of giving up myself, denying myself and giving up what I have, my, my own privileges. From now on, and then Jesus tells him, don't be afraid. Now you get it now you're ready to be my disciple it's not about you peter it's about serving people serving others and you'll be fishing for people you'll be sent out into the world and tell the whole world that you'll be now serving me serving me with humility serving me to all the people around you will fish for them do you see the two connections the reaction of his mother-in-law she was healed got up and served. actually she serves as a great example Peter didn't get it the first time he had to experience the second miracle to understand the meaning of responding to God's invitation I think my friends brothers and sisters you're in a fantastic opportunity here in this congregation new congregations are great opportunities for us to serve into the community to proclaim the good news and to tell the world that we are here to serve God and to serve God's people to reach out to them, to, 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 to show them God's love with our words and with our actions. I think it is a great opportunity for us to respond to God's invitation by telling the whole world that we are here to serve them in a humble, anonymous way like Peter, uh, Peter's mother-in-law did. Could it be, my friends, that Peter remained silent in the first episode because the healing of his mother-in-law was not disrupted to his lifestyle could it be that peter in his self-centered understanding of life his mother-in-law had little importance in his life and thus he reacted to this miracle with indifference could it be that jesus is trying to demonstrate and to show us what he expects of his followers in healing an unnamed woman and her immediate response to serve him in community how do we respond to god's call and miracles How do we respond? Do we surrender our personal agenda, our self-promoting ideas? Do we surrender our expertise like Peter and allow a carpenter to teach us how to serve the world? Is it possible to allow a carpenter to teach us how to be better persons by serving others, by serving God? It takes humility. I'd like to share with you a number of quotes from an author. He's kind of a popular author. His name is Richard Foster. And in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he puts together a brief comparison of the characteristics of service that is centered more upon ourselves and service that is centered more upon Christ. He writes, Self-centered service is concerned with impressive gains It enjoys serving when the service is titanic or growing in that direction. On the other hand, Christ-centered service does not distinguish between small and large. It welcomes all opportunities to serve. Self-centered service requires external reward, appreciation, and applause. Christ-centered service rests content in being unseen. The divine note of approval is sufficient. Self-centered service is highly concerned about results. It becomes disappointed when results fall below expectations. Christ-centered service is free of the need to calculate results. It delights only in service. Self-centered service is affected by feelings. Christ-centered service ministers simply and faithfully because there is need. Self-centered service comes through human effort. Self-centered service is temporary. Christ-centered service is a lifestyle. Self-centered service fractures community. Christ-centered service, on the other hand, builds community. How do we respond to God's call? Are we serving ourselves? Are we serving others? And how do we do that? Perhaps these two stories are related precisely in this way to help us understand the importance of service. And I'd like to conclude my message this morning by showing you a video clip. Since we are here in Texas, and since we moved to Texas, we quickly learned that football in Texas is better than life, better than religion. So this this clip comes from a a movie, Friday Night Lights. And I've been told that coaches make their money, their paycheck, by giving a speech in halftime. So here is a clip, and I think it's one of the best definitions of perfection. We Methodist Wesleyans, we believe in Christian perfection. And the coach, his team is down. They are halftime in the state championship. This is Odessa Premian, playing against Carter High School, not far from here. And he is trying to help his players to understand the importance of community in serving one another, helping one another. <laughs> Serving God is not about the scoreboard. It's not about winning or losing. It's about looking at your friends, the people around you in the eyes, and letting them know that you will not let them down, that you would serve them, that you would help them, regardless of their condition. That is perfection. That is what God is asking us to to do when we respond to God's call. As we continue to worship, let's continue reflecting on these words, and let's go out into the world serving God.